You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. All right, I'm back for the second part of my Digital Noise series with John Golson, Sir Dr. John Golson. Hello. Sir Dr. Lord John Golson. Lord. <laughs> yes, my lord? You keep adding, uh, get a new title? Yeah, so just like got to keep like a running list and add a new title every time <laughs> I'm over here. I just try to be polite. I just want to let you know how welcome you are and how happy I am. That Thank you. <laughs> by adding new titles all the, all the time. I appreciate it. Professor... Sir, Doctor, Lord uh, John Golson. I've never—I just got distracted for a second. I've never seen your cats play before. Yeah, they're manic right now. I don't know what's going on. They're playing. We we have the cats in the studio, and uh, they are uh, usually kind of—they're um, fuzzy decorations. Yeah, they're usually like sleeping or sitting in a they're lap. Usually. Or like, Pretty lappy when you come uh, over. But yeah. yeah, I just I just had to do a double take because your cat was literally playing, and I'm sure that's something you see all the time. Yeah. But I've been coming over here for years, and that's the first time I've ever seen your cat play. Which, I got to tell you, John is deeply annoying when they do it when we're recording. Because <laughs> they'll do stuff like, I've had the, in the middle of recording, a cat like just jump over and knock over the recording computer because Ugh. they're manic. And like, ah, they get, you know, they get the, what is it called? The zoomies. Yeah. They get the zoomies. I mean, fortunately, not all of them right now. Anyway, uh, we're, we got rid of some of the big stuff in the first episode. And this time we're talking about like horror stuff and not just obscure. We've got like at least one really, really, at least two really, really big wide release ones to talk about. One of which I've never discussed before, but everybody else sure did on the internet. Uh, the other one I, I saw at a festival, but some stuff I'm actually looking forward to talking about this week. And, um, John, thank you for sitting through some of these. Oh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> They're not all good, to be sure. And we're going to start with some of the. I, I think not I'm going to surprise you. Okay. This is, this is what, this is my, well, then, then based we, on the way that you're like kind of talking right then now. Then we might disagree because some of the ones that aren't as goes. good, I'm like, yeesh. So uh, this goes. One of those is, uh, Heartland of Darkness. That's one claim to fame is, Hey, it's a Linnea Quigley film that we thought was lost. I mean, look, Linnea Quigley, Scream Queen, gonna give her full credit for the films that she was in, that she was like memorable in. It wasn't for her acting ability. You know, like there are Scream Queens. I'm like, yeah, they were very genuinely charismatic people that I'm like, oh, I loved seeing them and stuff. Linnea Quigley was best known for her 
capacity to take her shirt off and, and, and I guarantee <laughs> when her name was on the box for for 15 year old horror fans in yeah. the 80s and early 90s yeah exactly like i mean I, I think most people remember her best as trash from return of the living dead yeah who does the naked dance on the on the grave and gets literally eaten out alive um, one of the most inexplicable scenes in any horror movie maybe ever made is when she puts the uh, lipstick inside of her nipple in, uh, uh, oh, I forgot about what, it's that. It's not Night of the De- not Night of the Demons, yeah. Yeah. The first Night of the Demons. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. It, that, that scene is not scary and it makes no sense. It makes no sense. <laughs> it just, yeah. She yeah. just shoves a whole stick of lipstick inside her nipple. Anything that makes no sense. Have you ever seen the remakes of Night of the Demons? It makes even less right. sense. Yeah. Anyway, um, Visual Vengeance has been putting out a lot of shot on video films, some yeah. of which we have talked about and enjoyed. Like we did that one that was sort of an Evil Dead Japanese remake. Uh, muscle Bodybuilder from Hell. Yeah. We liked that movie. We're like, you know what? It's not like it's a great movie, but man, it's kind of charming what it's trying to do. You know, I, I found that I thought this had the same kind of pluck. You're dealing with like, I can't even remember what the guy's job is, if he's a cop or a detective or if he's not even that, but he's basically, or he's an investigative journalist. Yeah, he's an investigative journalist yeah. who bought the local newspaper, gone to a small town in Ohio from the big city, discovers there's a cult of, you know, Christian cult-ish, you know. Yeah, they look at first like a regular church, but they're not. Yeah, there's an evil reverend with lots of cult followers, which is largely the entire town. Yeah. Yeah, and he's got, like, an assistant who is, like, an intrepid female journalist who clearly is there as a love-slash-nudity interest who is supposedly a badass on her own, but I don't know, really felt that, but whatever. Um... I don't know, man. It's, um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I really strongly disliked this movie. Uh, I thought it had a lot of pluck. (laughs) (laughs) Had a lot of moxie. It did. I guess they made a movie and I've never done that. Um, It felt like I was watching, uh, someone's like home movie in a way. It's a, it's a little like a really good home movie. Like it's not quite. On the level of like, oh, it feels straight up like a home movie. Yeah. You know, I've seen some shot on video stuff like Sledgehammer and stuff where it's like, oh, this literally feels like friends with like a camcorder. Yeah. This has the feel of a real movie, but it's obviously, I say obviously, maybe these ca- actors were like, maybe they did do a casting call. It doesn't feel that way. It feels like Fred got a call and was like, hey, will you come be in my movie? And Fred said, okay, I'll be in your movie. Some of them have photos on their IMDb profiles. <sighs> um. <laughs> I think the acting is probably the roughest thing this movie has going for it, which uh, is the paradox because it's probably a good part of this movie's charm is how amateurish the acting is. Um, it reminded me of like a, uh, a like a like a quarter bin version of Midnight Mass sort of like thing going on. Yes, yes, um, kind, of like, kind of like that. It was uh, it was like it was a crappy movie that I didn't mind. Um, I, I was like, it, it, there was just enough, just enough. Like, I don't want to like a grain, like, I'm not saying like a foot worth of professionalism. It just, the line between being completely amateurish and being slightly interesting, the, the little slightly interesting part just barely stuck up above that line. Okay. Just enough to have me for its running time. Where I thought this is going to be garbage and I'm going to hate this. And I was like, oh, there's something here. Like, there's something here. 
So I didn't, I thought it was a mostly painless experience for myself. I don't think it's particularly good, but you talked about the charm of muscle bodybuilder from hell. Yeah. And I think that was my deal was I was kind of charmed by its, I got a sense of pluck from it where these people were really like, we were going to make something really good. And is it? No, but I felt like I could feel that attempt happening. I mean, that's the thing about this company, Visual Vengeance. I give them full credit for having the balls to release the films they've been releasing, which are like all crap. They're all crap, but Mm. they're finding the, like, the crap that is, that has more corn in it or something. I don't know. They're like, oh, well, these are things you definitely haven't seen right because nobody is releasing this (laughs) nobody is releasing this stuff that you're like come on there's some charm here right and you're it's all about personal experience because i've i've watched most of the stuff they put out uh, that they've sent me and half of it i'm like yeah i get it i get what the charm is here this is cute and i'm enjoying this despite how just bottom dollar this production is and the other half i'm like oh man i can barely get through this <laughs> because when you're dealing with this level of crap that's just how it's gonna be and this is one i was like i could barely get through it nah, i give it like, a pass yeah it's it a d minus <laughs> d minus good lord um and i like that they always like include weird like a packaging like there's some high level of release it's like here. more than casablanca yeah more than, it's like more re- than the criteria reversible, high. reversible artwork a limited edition slipcase a mini poster a booklet a vhs sticker set uh, and a heartland of darkness prayer cloth it's a great package <laughs> it is a great package they probably honestly spent more on the on the package on the packaging for this movie uh, than was spent on the movie itself it's yeah, it's just, there's bonus features that they made on this. Like, who, why does this even need bonus features? Who's like, yeah, I can't wait to see about the making of this film. But there is. There's making of material, interviews, trailers, two commentary tracks, a new interview with Linnea Quigley, who, to be fair, if you follow her social media, will take any opportunity to go, like, remember me? I was relevant once. Poor Linnea Quigley. Um... I love you, but you're no Barbara Crampton. <laughs> Who actually had acting ability. Now you're going to start a fight. Celebrity oh, fight. man, what a great idea that would be. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a reality show I would watch, John. <laughs> Crampton, Quigley, who will win? Well, it's Crampton. Yeah. She'll win. She was better. Anyway, uh, we're going to move on to Nightmare at Noon, another really, truly awful film <laughs> that nonetheless does, in fact, have charm to it. This one, I'm like, I get the charm from this one. This is Arrow put this out. This is by a guy who is so much better than, like, who is so much better than being a director of the type of films he directed, fictional films. Uh, Nico Mas- Masterakis who was a huge deal as a journalist back in the day, as a television producer in Greece. He changed, he basically invented television in Greece. Like, was the guy who was like, yes, we should have real shows in Greece. And he was kind of the guy who did that. He was the guy who broke the story as a undercover journalist that Jackie Onassis and JFK were going to get married. Mm-hmm. He was a, He snuck on board their yacht. 
and like he broke the story months before it came out. Like he was a big fucking deal. Uh, and I don't even mean in a sleazy way, although there were some, there's things where he got sucked into like the, there's a point in Greece where there was a fascist government and there's stuff going on and he got sort of suckered into a thing where it, like it was like, oh, I'm filming this thing of students you arrested and the idea that you're giving them a chance to say their piece, but then it was edited to make it look like they were you know, terrible. And Uh then he was blamed for it, even though it wasn't really on him. He thought he was doing the right thing and it kind of murdered his journalistic career in a lot of ways. Um, but a fascinating fucking dude in his career before he became a narrative film director who was forced to leave, uh, Greece and came to America and England just to make trash films for the rest of his career. Um, some of which are really we like highly it. thought of. Like I, his 1975 Island of Death, uh, is really highly regarded. You and I watched <laughs> the one about the two guys that were best friends that were hustlers that met the two psychic is it ladies. Blood Tide? No, it, it's two psychic. I want to say it has blue in the title, like blue eyes, something blue eyes. Wow. Um, but it's it was like. It was a Greek film about these two best friends that were, uh, like these hustler types that meet these two psychic women. And I can't really remember the plot from there. Man, I got to watch one but, of his, one of his, his last film I got to watch on my next row, which is called Dot Com for Murder. <laughs> Came out in 2001. But we liked that one that I'm bringing up right yeah, now. Yeah. No, we no, no. Ended, we liked it. Um, and this is like under the mistaken assumption that Wings Hauser was like a guy who could lead a film. Uh, you remember then? You remember then, John, when people thought Wings Hauser is going to be a star who can lead a carry a film? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was never, ever once true. Um, and then George Kennedy, who also, you know, former football star who's like, yeah, yeah, George Kennedy, he feels like he can be a big star in a film. And then, of course, the inclusion of several hot, half naked women. Uh, so. Brian James, who people probably best known as Leon from Blade Runner, mm-hmm. um, who like one of those character actors who played like a villain or a crazy guy. And uh, I, God knows how many films, 48 hours, uh, Silverado, Tango and Cash, Red Heat, The Player, The Fifth Element. He's been in so many movies. One of those guys, you know, immediately he's talking about death has blue eyes that we watched and we kind of liked. Um, he plays a mad scientist, uh, who injects something into the water supply of the small town in rural Utah with the help of a shadowy secret government agency. Anybody who drinks the water turns into a 28 days later type zombie, like rabid, fast moving zombie. Um, and then <laughs> don't oversell it though. No, I mean, I don't want to compare it to that, but it is that because yeah. like, let's face it. Like remember when 28 days later came out, it's like, what's up with this, with no, this yeah, fast like zombie rage, rage thing? And, and like, yeah. yeah, that's been going on for a long yeah. time. Yeah. Um, like green skinned. Yeah. Uh, so some people who are traveling through town who are like, <laughs> like <laughs> people in our, the most obnoxious couple ever in an RV with like, Basically, I don't know, preacher from the Garth Ennis series who, except not a preacher, who's like hitchhiking a ride from him who shows up, who's like former cop badass, uh, like a forced off the police force, but he's still badass. Now he's just wandering the earth like Kane in Kung Fu, uh, show up in this town, uh, become friends with the, the local police force. George Kennedy is the head of the police force. Um, 
uh, dealing with the story with like and the scientists and it's lots of it's more of a gunplay movie than yeah, it's, it's a horror movie. movie. Yeah, I mean, it's it, like, it kind of has zombies in it, sort of. It but sells itself as a horror film on the cover and the description, but it's an action movie. Yeah, and it's yeah. a specific action movie, which is a direct-to-video dad movie from the early nineties. But I, 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 we've talked about it before. I can't remember. You worked in a video store, right? No. No, you didn't work in a video Believe store? it or not, never did. The, we, there would be, like, these kind of movies that were, like, these uh, these action movies that were... It's so weird. They're, they're, it's like people being uh, tone deaf and not having an understanding of the difference between the movies that are on the shelves and, like, which ones might be good action movies and which ones might not be. And it was just, oh, it's action. And there'd be people that would, like, rent... Like the worst looking stuff simply because it was like, oh, this has like a gun, a guy with a gun on a cover that I recognize and, and not equate it to like, not have anything to do or any preconception of quality. Like no, no barometer for, <laughs> oh, this looks like it's going to suck. You, it's a certain type of movie renter where it was like, they literally can't tell the difference between the boxes to be able to know which ones look like they might be of quality and not. And we would rent this kind of stuff. There was a steady stream of this kind of stuff from companies like Trimark and and places like that. When you say we, I was more the guy who did it for the horror stuff. Yeah. Where I'd be like, oh, this looks horrific and yeah, I can't but wait you to knew see you it. had the barometer to go like, like this could e- either be a new classic or it could be the worst piece of shit yeah. I've seen but the odds are worst piece of shit yeah right I'm talking like but remove the barometer where you're movie blind yeah. and you're just like you're seeing them all, as all equals so you're talking about Brian Salisbury yeah they're all equals <laughs> they're all equals and they pick this up and and we'd rent stuff like this it reminded me of my video store days um this is uh this is if you go in expect if you go in expecting horror you might be disappointed. I think if you go in expecting a weird action movie, you're, uh, you'll say like action it more. comedy is what it's even going for. Really, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's not like, that it's actually funny, but that's what it's going for. Yeah, yeah. And the and there's not like a ton of the zombie characters that just affords them some fight scenes and stuff where the other person won't go down. So they get some, it's like if you have a limited cast and you don't have a bunch of henchmen that can get shot, what do you do? Well, what if the guy just can't get brought down and we end up having multiple (laughs) fight scenes with the same person? Yeah. Like I'm not, there's a certain charm to this movie, but it's very DTV, very early nineties DTV specifically. It's well-made compared to a lot of its stuff at the time. You know what I mean? Where I go like, Despite the just overall cheapness of it, the director actually seems to know what he's doing, you know, and made a film that does that you're not embarrassed by the effects or the way it's shot or the editing. You're like, this isn't a badly made film. It's just made on such a shoestring budget that and with a terrible script. Yeah. It, it, come, <laughs> it is like we reached somewhere. It, we reached a point where a cash in also meant that it didn't have to have fundamentals. Yeah. And this was a cash in where everybody knows that it's paycheck work, but the fundamentals are there. Like it's, it is a movie. You know? And I like the guy who was playing the badass hitchhiker guy. I'm like, I'd watch you in more films. I'd like you. You're kind of cool. I wish there was a nightmare at midnight sequel. 
Yeah, I, I like this uh, this crappy movie. Yeah. It's a crappy movie I liked. Yeah, I watched it on a, like a Sunday morning, and uh, I was like, well, "That was a, you know, it was it was a hip." <laughs> because of some of the stuff we get in the stack, I was like, "That was a pain free experience." Like that was uh, <laughs> that was that and kind of memorable. Other than the title, it has a terrible title. It's basically a fast food but, movie with fast food that you like, yeah. where you're like, "I'm in the perfect mood for this fast food," and I ate it, and I was like, mm, "That was delicious." And I, it meant but, nothing. But a but, very specific fast food. Yeah, a very specific. Because the minute you said that, I went, oh, they're Jack in the Box mini tacos. And the reason I bring those up <laughs> is because they're shit. They they have regular size tacos on the menu. Why do you need four <laughs> small versions of something you can get two larger ones? Because they're But beyond adorable. that, when you're spending six or seven bucks on them anyways, why aren't you just going and getting a real taco somewhere? Yeah. And so to carry that metaphor through, yes, they are a fast food. But they're not even just a fast food taco, nor are they the fast food Jack in the Box taco. They're the fast food Jack in the Box mini tacos, where it's like a bastardization of a bastardization of a bastardization. But yeah. at the end of the day, you still go, yum, I ate, I ate the mini tacos. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> You're anyway. not wrong, John. Anyways. You went deeper into that thought than I would have thought was worthy of exploring. But and like, now all I want is mini tacos. Uh, I... Okay, I'm as far as I go into fast food tacos is Taco Bell because it has taco in the name. You're like they can do that. You go to Jack in the Box, you're like, I'm not eating your tacos. <laughs> you have cheeseburgers. I'm not eating your tacos. End of story. Taco Bell. I'm like, yeah, I know it's not as good as the the place across the street that's a trailer in front of the gas station that's like run by people who barely speak English. Those are going to be great tacos. And they'll probably cost about the same, yeah. but I'll have to wait 10 minutes for those tacos. <laughs> this one, I'm like, I know exactly what it's going to taste like. It's going to squirt sour cream into my mouth. I'll be very happy. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, a lot of bonus features here, including a retrospective well worth owning this for alone. The films of Nico Masterakis Nightmare at Noon. I mean, the guy is a of just plain amusing film career uh, of his own. Like literally look at it, go to his Wikipedia page, read his whole page. Cause his life is crazy and fascinating. And then, and then you haven't even, and you haven't even gotten to the films he made before you're like, wow, what an interesting guy. And then you're like, holy shit. He made movies too. Oh wow. These are all terrible. <laughs> you're like, uh, hey, just a fascinating dude. Uh, behind the scene cuts of nightmare at noon for 49 minutes behind the scenes footage and brief snippets from the finished product on set interviews uh quite a bit of them and then image gallery and then of course arrow put this out put out insert booklet essay uh about the film and packaging with the reversible sleeve yeah i was kind of surprised i enjoyed this as much as i did i kept going but it's awful and then going yeah but i'm having a good time (laughs) it's fine uh we're gonna move on to a film that is widely regarded by horror fans who are those i don't mean horror fans i mean horror fans the guys who are like i've been doing this for 50 years type fans or like no no there's a point past where you're like this is the thing i'm into right now and uh, this is my entire identity horror fans who are always like children shouldn't play with dead things which is a I don't know if it's a great title or a horrible title. I've yet to make up my mind on is like one of the all time classics of the genre. It was also known as Revenge of the Living Dead, Things from the Dead and Zareeks. Uh, 
not freaks, freaks with a Z instead of an F. I don't know why. Um, 1972 comedy horror film. I think one of the things that keeps it in the public memory is because Bob Clark directed it. And if you don't know who Bob Clark is, you clearly don't fall into either category of horror fan because you would know because he made Black Christmas, which is arguably the first American slasher film. Uh, Death it, Dream. Um, another one. Would you, is Death Dream predate? No, I'm just saying. Oh, I'm yeah, saying Bob another Clark Bob Clark, Clark film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob Clark. Um, uh, I yeah, I was going to say, like, I think the Italians were doing slasher film before yeah. us, but like um, the American slasher film is what set the standard for all the stuff you guys know, Friday the 13th, Halloween, yada, yada. I mean, John Carpenter at length has gone on how Black Christmas was the, the you know, the the blueprint for Halloween. Um. But he also made a Christmas story, yeah. <laughs> which is weird. Uh, this, I, this is a very odd, low budget, super low budget zombie film, uh, that predates, it was his third film, uh, it predates Black Christmas, a Christmas story. And then Porky's, he also sort of redefined the sex comedy. Yeah. Like pr- probably set the defining sex comedy film for 10 years in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, it's, um, this is a deeply annoying film that slowly grows on you, is how I look at it. You know, at first I'm like, I hate everyone here. I wish they would shut up and stop talking. I'm really not liking any of them. Which, to be fair, is like also kind of like you. One could say also credits part of the definition of the history of the slasher films because <laughs> they're almost all about annoying people who get killed. But it. I slowly started to get why this is funny. Yeah. And by the end, I'm like, oh, I kind of like this, actually. It So much like Black Christmas, I actually think this is like the blueprint for like Evil Dead. And I don't know if Raimi has mentioned this in interviews, but it's basically a bunch of college friends that go out to the woods in a cabin and are going to read from an evil book. And, and this, it happens to resurrect the dead. Yeah. And I, there was a lot about it that reminded me of evil dead to the point that I was like, he had to have seen this. Like Ramey had to have seen children. I shouldn't play with dead things. Yeah. Um, you he, would think. Yeah. Um, they're all, all the friends in this are all like theater nerds. And there's one in particular, and it's kind of funny cause I had watched, um, my bodyguard with Chris Makepeace and, uh, uh, Adam Baldwin recently and it's screenwriter Alan Ormsby plays the lead and children shouldn't play with dead things. And his oh, character, no shit. Yeah. His character is like this proto incel milady type that we would know now as like a fedora wearing nerd. Uh, he does not have a fedora in this, but he's basically this super prissy guy that is constantly making sexual comments and jokes. He also kind of super awkward. He reminded me a lot though, as well of the lead character from, uh, what's the Russ Myers, uh, Roger Ebert, uh, um, Oh, beyond the, the valley. Of the I Malls. never saw that. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, we're going to have to make that happen at some point. Yeah. But, um, yeah. and I thought he's, he's like really irritating and is the lead to the point where it's like you beg for someone else to be the lead of the movie? Like, can we just make it one of those things where oh the, oh he's not the lead he gets killed real fast? Like, like he's no. not. I wouldn't even call him the protagonist because it's like you don't like him. He's not a good guy, but he's not like the villain. No, he's just like he's the head of the theater kids, and he's he is a proto incel. He's what yeah. we would describe that now as like an incel, but not even. 
not even like because like an incel like that doesn't exist yet. Like I, I maybe there are theater crowd incels. I don't oh, know. Yeah, maybe that's are. a thing. There is are. there? Oh yeah. Like there people are. like I do stage theater and I'm an incel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, this. I mean, my experience with theater was literally everybody got laid all the time. So yeah. regardless of what you look like. But no, there, there are these guys. I think that like when it got to the back half, I actually thought it had a pretty good. Um, it had a, a nice, like, spooky vibe, macabre tone, um, probably from the sound design, the music, the effects are fairly good for something that's obviously no budget. Um, and there's also, like, a kind of all hell breaks loose vibe to the finale. Yeah. It had a nice little, uh, macabre is the word I keep coming back to because that's the only, it wasn't dread, it wasn't suspenseful. But there was something about it that felt appropriately uh, spooky, gloomy, uh, and oppressive in a way that I was like, uh, this this ending's kind of working. Um, it was not one that became to me like an instant classic where I'm going to watch it again and no. again. But you can but see I the understood why, And I understood why it has a cult following. Yeah. Like I'm watching it going like, oh, I, I get it. I, yeah. It's not it's, That part's not passing me by whether or not yeah. I love the movie or not. Yeah, I mean, you're watching, you're watching so many things that when you have to be cognizant of like when it came out and going like, wow, this, I would have thought, like you were saying, Evil Dead, I would have thought. Pre Romero, like, even this Yeah, movie. exactly. Or pre, well, I shouldn't say pre Romero because it came out after Night of Living Dead. Right. But, but yeah. Yeah. It, it's pre Dawn of the Dead, which was much more what this is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, Bob Clark did that on almost every level of his career where he kept doing stuff way before everybody else was doing it, but was never given the credit for being the guy who did that first. Yeah. Um, and this is another example of that. And yeah, it's weirdly kind of charming after the first 30 minutes or so. Cause getting past that lead actor is hard. <laughs> He's so annoying. <laughs> You're just like, oh man, I I'm can't believe stuck to writing. <laughs> I can't believe no one has punched him in the face yet. And they try, actually. Uh-huh. They do try to punch him, but um <laughs> You're gonna, you may already know whether or not this is for you and be asking whether or not you like this and going, yes, but is this release worth, they put it out on 4K, very low budget shot film. Like, is it worth it on 4K? This set, um, I don't know. I mean, does it look that much better? I mean, how much better can I, I mean, you only do but so much with the source material here, but, I'll say it does come with a lot of extras here. There's Dreaming of Death, Bob Clark's horror films for an hour and 12 minutes. A history look back on Justice Horror Films, which is quite funny. I actually watched that and went like, that is very entertaining. There's a commentary uh, by multiple people here. Alan Ormsby, Jane Daly, and Anya Cronin. Um, the Blu-ray that comes with it is uh, comes with... Uh, all of that stuff as well. And there's a new disc of special features, a new 2022 interview with Alan Ornsby, uh, the confessions of a grave digger interview with Ken Gock, uh, grindhouse Q and a that took place after a screening of two, uh, Bob Clark films with Alan Ormsby and more, um, memories of Bob Clark, a tribute to the late director, uh, which is an audio supplement. And then two music videos by some group called the dead things. (laughs) Dead Girls Don't Say No and Cemetery Mary. Oh, gross. <laughs> That's dead what... Gr- dead Girls Don't Say No? <laughs> That's gross. I mean, it's technically true, John. Yeah. Haven't you ever watched Necrophiliac? 
Uh, no. One or two? Uh, no. I kind of enjoyed both. I saw the, I saw the, uh, climactic moment of Necromantic 2. Climactic? Yes, at, um, the 100 Greatest Kills night. Someone brought it as their, uh, there was like a bring your own kills night in the series, and, uh, someone brought that. I won, by the way. I won a hundred bucks of bringing a, bringing a kill to bring your own. The very first round of Draft House, one hundred greatest kills. What was the kill? The kill that I brought. Uh, so they, the ones I remember, I was in competition with. One of them was that scene in Necromantic Two. Uh, one of the one of them was a scene in the Killers where they throw an old lady down a flight of stairs, like uh-huh. Kubrick's Killers. The one I brought was from the little remembered early nineties horror film. Grim Prairie Tales with Brad Dourif. Oh, I've and, never actually seen that. And James Earl Jones. There is a scene in the movie where a man and a woman are camping, and they start to kiss and make out, and the guy gets on top, and he's about to have sex, and you see his ass buckle inward, and then his entire body gets pulled into her vagina while he's screaming. Holy it shit! It breaks his back, and he folds in half. Okay, and you- he's like, ah. Yeah, and he's you, like getting you pulled inside. Can, of you kind of win there. Yeah, I and mean, I, I've seen that in anime, but yeah. not live action. Yeah, and so. I won a hundred bucks. And and I know part of it was just the simple obscurity because it was a movie that I know it, it was like a Showtime mainstay. It used to come on cable all the time, which is how I saw it. But it was a movie that I'm like, one, nobody's heard of this movie, so that means nobody's seen the scene. And so I think part of the leverage I had was just the unfamiliarity of. Playing something out of context that people were like, what movie is that? Like, what in the world movie is that? <laughs> right, because no one else in the right mind would have watched it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, we're talking about something that's brand new. It's also horror. Uh, and it played Fantastic Fest. And it opened it. And I was the one guy walking out when, like, yeah, I didn't really care for that. <gasps> and everybody else I'm loved so it. Smile. Everybody else was like, I loved it. And I was like, really? I felt like everyone lied to me when I watched this movie, Chris. <laughs> okay, so are you on my side here then? Yes, by saying that? I thought this was so Thank freaking, you. like, lame. It, <laughs> it's just like the repeat of it. It's just a recycled. It follows oh the ring. It's just all that shit again with a, I'm sorry, deeply uncharismatic performance by Kevin Bacon's daughter. I'm, I just, I don't get it. I don't get the appeal. It's not that she's a bad actress. She has, she just has zero charisma. Like it's just not there. And it's just so hackneyed and there, and the director is acting so big about his ideas of like, Oh, it's about processing trauma. Literally there's 5,000 horror movies about processing trauma. You're not doing anything new here. I just went and yeah. I, I'm baffled why people like this film. I, 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 I think it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Uh, there's a psychiatrist who has a bad event in her past. She, the movie opens with her when she's a child, she finds her mother's dead body. Uh, and the psychiatrist, uh, has a patient one day who talks about seeing a smiling figure, uh, that's haunting her. And it's one of those J horror things of like, you kind of pass along the, uh, the curse of seeing the smiling person. Uh, from, from place to place. It causes our main character psychiatrist lady to have, uh, a very fast 
ramp up to being like completely histrionic and hysterical all the time. Again, if you've seen It Follows in the Ring, you've seen this movie already. It's the same thing, except not as good. Every, a lot of the dialogue was very like screenwriterly. Like it wasn't very, it wasn't very, um, human. It was very much like, if they wanted to talk to you about the fact that this was about trauma, characters would have arguments and be like, this is about the trauma you endured when you found our mother's dead body. And the other character would be like, no, that's not what this is about. I'm not crazy. I'm trying to tell you that I'm cursed. No, and, and all the writing was that way where I'm just like, they're just saying what's happening. Like, I can already see what's happening, and the characters are just saying what's happening. You know, I think this concept is – like the, the, the I- Okay, the visual of that idea of the creepy smile, which is definitely affecting, no question. Like, there's like a weirdly creepy smile staring at you. And the idea of that passing on like a, a, a viral thing is creepy and cool. And there's something there, right? But this movie's mistake is just falling down the exact same fucking path as every other movie that's ever done this type of story. Instead of being aware Instead of going like into an intelligent discussion about this, there's nothing this adds new to this. And it's just a lesser version of this type of film than ones that have done before. I, I felt it was kind of lazy. The only thing that at all was neat. And again, wreck did it better is there's a tall, creepy, skinny monster at the end that, that that's cool looking, but that's it. And you're like, yeah, we already saw that. Everything this movie has to offer, you've seen done better in another film. And it's so long to to have to sit through the stuff that you've seen better. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, at two hours, it's unforgivably long to have everybody spell out what's happening for you all the time. Oh, I'm so glad like, that you felt the same way I did because, like, I when I reviewed this initially, everyone else liked it a lot, and I was like, "Oh, come they on!" They had festival blinders on, festival yeah. theater going on. Because I'm telling you, like, I, I I have not seen a movie in a while that made me go. I feel like I feel like everyone there was caught up in the fear. Like I get I get it. Like you're at a festival, it's a lot of fun, you're with your yeah. friends. And maybe I think maybe you thought it was gonna be crappy because the trailers were not great. So you were expecting the worst and it wasn't the worst. But watching it in my own home, especially after hearing like Oh wow, it's really solid. It's full of like really good scares. Yeah, people and we I'm know like, and respect were like, like, Oh, I love watching this. it. I'm just like, this is so hack. No one is, no one, I, it bothered me more than anything else is no one has an interesting conversation yes. and there's a lot of conversations and nobody is saying anything interesting. They're just conveying information that you already know in different ways. That's just it. And no one is saying anything. It's, it's just exposition porn. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a part in the movie that I kind of mentally checked out because it was so laughable, which is a part where she's at the birthday party. And there's the CG animal, the CG dead animal at the birthday party. Yeah. And it was such a bad CG animal. The kid's like holding his arm out and he's got the animal in his hand. And it's like, obviously it looked like a sticker that they put over his arm being outstretched. Like they, sh- they cut to it a couple times. So they, they try not to linger on it because it looks fucking awful. And then she has a complete meltdown and, flips like a wrestler backwards into a glass table, <laughs> yeah. like legs up in the glass table and then stands up and starts screaming. And I was just like, this is uh this is funny to me. Like I was laughing through that whole scene yeah. and I was like, 
I know I'm not supposed to be laughing right now, but this is ridiculous. And that was like the bright spot in the whole movie to me. I do have to tell you something about this before we, before we cut away. I, I started this movie four times. I could not get into it. I kept starting it and being like, I, 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 dude, I saw the opening where they're, she's in the office talking to that girl. Yeah. Four times in the past two months. Like, the girl in that scene to me is the best part of this film. The, the first girl who's the cover girl, she was in the original short this is based on, and she is by, you see it, you're like, oh, your smile is incredibly creepy. You have a super creepy smile. I get why they were like, oh, that short worked because of you. But after that, every time I started it, my the dialogue would become white noise, yeah. and I would lose the plot and start messing around on my phone or start <laughs> wanting to do something else, or sometimes just went, I'm not in the mood for this right now. Like, I don't feel like listening to these people talk and mm-hmm. turn it off. And the last time, and I watched it this week, I finally like was like, I don't have any choice. <laughs> I'm going to watch recording. it. I got to finish it. I have to, I have to get through this. <laughs> and I put it on and I got through it, and I was like, it never got any better. Like, there no. was... The early signs of me not enjoying the way people were talking to each other just carried through the whole movie. I'm baffled. Like, like the people, some of the people I've talked about who I know have seen every <laughs> single movie this movie is like doing lesser versions of who, who were like, Oh, I loved it. I'm like, why? I'm just, I, I feel like it's a, it's like someone suddenly discovered a religion and you're like, wait, what? Like a cult. And you're like, wait, what is it about this you find appealing? I, I, I don't understand it at all. Yeah. I mean, they're not, nobody is obsessive about this the way that like they would be about a cult or something. But you know what I mean? Where you're like, well, I don't, what is it that you saw that you liked so much? Okay. Yeah, I, I'm. It almost made me angry after the festival, where it was like, "God damn it! Yeah, will like someone please say one thing about this yeah. movie that will like convince me that oh, this is what I'm missing? Because I want to feel what you're feeling, but I'm not seeing it. Unfortunately, I've talked to lots of people like you since who were like, "Yeah, this is garbage." She's That's like, just uh, like those uh, early two thousands J horror. A lot of those early two thousands J horror remakes, like Shudder and Pulse and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like those. Yeah, like it sits yes. with those. Yes. That's exactly the caliber. It's just, you know. It's an A-horror remake. Yeah. <laughs> Which in and of itself is a J-horror thing. Yeah. But anyway, uh, there is an audio commentary from director Parker Finn, of which this was his debut film. I mean, here's, I mean, he's a competent director. Let's hope he goes on to do something better. You know, just saying. Yeah. I mean, don't be, don't be vengeful, John. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> We hope the best, right? Uh, Something's Wrong with Rose, Making Smile, 30-minute exploration of the, the original short film that inspired it, and then the adaptation to the feature film, Flies in the Wild, Wall Inside the Score, uh, obviously about um, uh, some of the musical elements, deleted scenes, uh, about 12 minutes of those with commentary by the director, and Lara Hasn't Slept, the original short film, which I admit, I watched and went... This is much better than this entire film. The original short film is the like that's what you watch that. I should that also cool. say I watched this with 3D headphones on in the dark. So I maximized wow. my my scariness for this movie and uh yeah. So uh we're going to talk 
more briefly than we should about Shawscope Volume 2 from Arrow, which is a massive set. We previously re- reviewed on Digital Noise Shawscope Volume 1, a look at the 1960, late 60s, early uh, 70s Shaw Brothers output of martial arts film that now Arrow has put out in magnificent 4K, not 4K, I'm sorry, like, I mean, they're 1080p, but like from 4K remasters, uh, upgrades with just an insane amount of bonus features, including physical features. Just a great, great, great set. If you ever like martial arts films, Shos- the Shawscope set is kind of like a great way to go. Like, I was a child of the 90s, 80s, and the late 80s, 90s, like the John Woo's, the Ringo Lambs, the Chewy Harks, all that stuff that was happening then, like discovering martial arts films then more so. I mean, I grew up watching... Saturday afternoon theater of the Shaw Brothers stuff, but I yeah. wasn't really paying attention to it as movies. It was more like, yeah, beat his ass. Like later on, I'm like, oh, okay. I actually think I like this stuff for real. Like seriously. So going back and watching the Shaw Brothers, a Shaw scope set volume one, I was like, wow, this is amazing, incredible collection of films. A lot of which I've not seen. Shaw scope volume two kind of goes to like, okay, here's what happened in the later half of the 70s, which some people think is much better and some people think is much worse. I've seen reviews that cover this based on both. But I'll tell you, John, uh, from what I've seen of the set, and unlike, uh, I am really hate to say, unlike the first set, which I had seen absolutely everything in when I did the review, I've only seen about God, like not even half of what's in here by the time we do this review. But I watched what I considered to be the ones I'm like, these are the high points. Mm-hmm. I love the films I love in this set. I love more than the films I love in the first set. Some of my all time favorites are in this set, um, which includes arguably the most popular non Bruce Lee 70s martial arts film ever, the 36 Chambers of Shaolin, right? Yeah. Uh, which inspired the Wu-Tang Clan and endless amounts of reggae artists and like, just like, I mean, it's weird. There's actually a bonus feature that comes on the disc, uh, which is given its own disc. One of the few in here, it's like, you get the one disc and then like 20 hours of extras that come on it. There's one that's like a 40 minute. Here's how this movie influenced popular culture. Uh, which goes into all of that. I wish it was a little bit better of a documentary. They'd spent some money on it and actually interviewed the artists in question. Cause you know, it's not like Wu-Tang Clan aren't around. Yeah. It wouldn't have been interested, but it was like, you didn't even ask, did you? <laughs> uh, but interesting nonetheless. Um, but the one disc I gave you to watch was one of my favorite films from this that I had seen from this mad monkey Kung Fu, which is not considered among the Shaw brothers, all time classics outside of a very niche group. Cause it was weirdly put out in more of a, it was, it was kind of promoted in a weird sort of art crowd sort of thing when it came out, as opposed to the martial arts crowd. Cause it is a weird, fun cult, crazy thing that wasn't like, previous Shaw Brothers things. It's like, what if we did everything we were doing in Shaw Brothers movies, like all the acrobatics, all the craziness, but it was more like a carnival atmosphere. It's like, this is more about the acrobatics and the comedy. 
And a lot of the stuff in the set is more about that. And I'm really curious to know what you thought about Mad Monkey Kung Fu. Uh, I liked it. I found it very easy to watch. It's a story of a kind of a young layabout who, uh, who befriends a, a broken, um, master of a, of a monkey style, a monkey fighting style, who at the beginning of the film, you think that the master is sort of the main character because it's it's sort of following him and he loses his actual pet monkey and his girlfriend is assaulted um and you kind of think the story's following him but really it just brings him to a place where he's dejected enough to feel defeated and this other guy this plucky upstart wants to learn uh this monkey style from him and and help defend the town from gangsters and and hopefully provide some retribution for his uh for his mentor as well. Um, and it's, it, yeah, it's very freewheeling, funny, um, energetic, uh, uh, lots of fight scenes. And a lot of the fight scenes are, are as much about acrobatics as they are about like fighting. So it's not like you watch it and you go, Oh wow. He really kicked that guy's ass. And you watch it and laughs. you go, yeah. yeah, you watch it and you go, wait, I don't understand how you could go from like, I don't understand how you could do like six handsprings in a row and then like shoot up in the air and flip and like land on a guy's back or like whatever. You know, it's all stuff that's like feats of you have you have guys in the in the Shaw Brothers stuff who are there because they are fast and they look like they kick ass fast. Yeah. And you have guys like Jackie Chan who have like the recklessness, the stunt base and the use of environmental objects. Then you have guys like uh Shin Ho here who's like everything is all about literal acrobatics like gymnasts like yeah. like watch him watch him do this stuff that the human it seems impossible for the human body to do gymnast uh mixed with like um physical comedy because it's the monkey part is yeah. is key like he's like oh well, it's like martial arts all right so there's obviously a huge amount of martial arts films that are about like inspiring the style of an yeah. animal as a thing this is the most vibrantly that thing where it's like yes it's monkey style where with all the comedy that would be involved with that but the comedy and the action really work so hand in hand yeah. where he's like itching himself becomes a martial arts move, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Broad childish comedy, but it was, it was a fun way to pass the time. I, yeah. I did enjoy it. I like the other feature in the set as well. Uh, which is uh five super, five super fighters. I yeah. think it was called, yeah. which is like these, there's a guy that just rolls into town and goes to different dojos and throws a sign on the wall that says, if your school sucks, I'm here to teach them all a lesson. <laughs> and he'll throw the sign up before he even finds out if they suck. And then he'll beat everybody's ass and move on to the next school. I kind of, I kind of went like, Hey man, this film <laughs> isn't fair to this guy, to be fair. Like they treat him like he's the villain. And I'm like, Hey man, it seems like a, like an honest profession. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he rolls up to these one guys. He kicks all their asses. They get so dejected. They're like, "We're look, we're all going to go our separate ways." They all go their own separate ways, and each one of them meets a character with their own <laughs> unique point of view and fighting style. One of them meets a gambler. One of them meets uh, an old fisherman. One of them meets like uh, this lady who's kind of a hermit that can kick ass that lives like off by herself in a in a in a mountain pass. And they all learn different ways of enhancing their fighting from these people that they're with. 
And then, of course, they come back and, and kick the guy's ass who humiliated them. Very, very simple. Like, very... It's not as, very it's not as good it's as not Mad It's not nearly Monkey. as good as Mad uh, But, like, it, you know, it accomplishes... It's a nice companion piece, because it also is kind of funny. It's lightly points. comedic. It's, yeah. not, it's not as out-and-out... Out, it's not as much of an out-and-out out comedy as Mad Monkey is. Like, Mad Monkey is, is definitely, like... I I think Mad Monkey should be considered a brand new cult classic of the show. I, I think it should be reevaluated as one of the best of the period. Yeah. And I don't think it's like Charlie Chaplin fucking Shaw film. It's like, it's insanely physical comedy. Like you're watching that lead guy, the way he's like mixing martial arts with like goofball screwball comedy stuff. I think is amazing. The first time I ever saw it, and I had seen many martial arts films before it, I went, what the fuck is this? Holy crap. I've yeah. never seen anything like when this. When did you first see it? Oh my God. It must be 20 years ago. I saw it, it on DVD. Oh, okay. And I was like, I just rented it, I think, from iHeartVideo or Vulcan or something and went like, what the fuck? This is great. I love the shit out of this. Yeah. I'd never heard of it before you pass it on. And I've heard of others. Yeah. I've heard of eight, you know, eight diagram pole fighters. Of course. I've heard of other, the Shaolin chamber. You know what? So I'll tell you this. I think a diagram pole fighters is overrated. Yeah. I'm, it's no mad monkey. I love Gordon. Just, I, I would rather watch mad monkey myself. Yeah. I love Gordon Liu, who is the, uh, the blood brother that was like, they're like adopted brother, but I'm like, it means blood brother basically of Lao Kar Leung, who is the director of fully over half of the films in this new Shaw scope volume two set. He was a guy who was definitely later half of the seventies Shaw brothers director. He, was an actor and stuff, but never was as big as a lot of people because he wasn't real pretty. Mm. Not not a super attractive guy, and he was a little older. And he, so it was like, he was a very funny actor. He was very good at it. He, like, no question he was a good actor, but, you know, he didn't have the pretty boy thing to lead a lot of stuff. Um, but he is in some of the more prominent things that you're going to see in Shawscope Volume 2. And if not just as the director, um, uh, stunt choreographer, but in, for instance, one of the films here that weirdly doesn't get the 4K treatment in the set, uh, um, My Young Auntie, which is a tremendous action comedy that is one of the weirdest things ever to come out of the Shaw Brothers studio. I'm going to do the best I can to explain shortly what this film is about, where this woman who she and her father were kind of like brought, not adopted, but they were brought in by this much older rich guy who was a kind guy. who was like, yes, I just want to take care of you because you fell in hard times, but he's dying. And his, like, he didn't have any children of his own, but his, like, m- next direct descendant is a real douchebag, like, criminal guy. And he's like, I don't want that guy getting my money. So, before I die, I'm going to marry you. So, you have control of my money, but I want you to bring it to this other town in the big city, because she's in more in the country, and to this uh son, uh, nephew that I have that is the one member of my family I think is a decent dude, who's played by Laukar Young, who's much older than the very young 20-something uh, auntie character here. And most of the comedy is derived initially about like the whole, wait, how's she my aunt? I'm like 30 years older than her and he has a son that's like about the yeah. same age as her and it turns into a teen party movie weirdly crossed with like western eastern 
crossing to get like this whole thing like he's been going to school in hong kong and is all into western culture so he's trying to he's like ah it's funny you don't know about western culture and he brings her to like a a party that's western culture party and like it seems like not even the director knows what that is because like (laughs) people are dressed up on everything from like 17th century french outfits to like robin hood and like uh rebel without a cause all at the same party like what is happening here and they have a big like dance sequence that's like mixing their skills of martial arts in terms of just the physicality of it not specifically the martial arts but their ability for physicality with you know bebop dance moves like spinning swinging like all that sort of thing but every 30 seconds the music changes like it's country it's rock and roll it's what is what i was watching this here and my wife was sitting in the room with me and she eventually was like what the fuck is this <laughs> like this is so insane and it, it really is it's it's the it's not a film you watch for the martial arts despite the fact they're really good it's a film you watch for how madcap and crazy the comedy is and go, this is genuinely funny. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, part of it is like cultural, what the hell, but really good. But honestly, most people are going to get this for the 36 chamber of Shaolin, which in and of itself is a fascinating film because so Gordon Liu, who uh is, you know, like I said, the adopted brother uh, of the, the choreographer director of a lot of these, uh, but who is probably the biggest actor from the second half of the Shaw brothers period. Most people know him from, uh, um, kill bill, the, the bald Chinese guy from King kill bill. And, uh, you know, uh, very, very iconic. He was in almost every movie that came out, including my young auntie in a smaller role, but almost every movie that came out in the second movie, uh, a second half of the Shaw brothers, uh, period in the seventies, the 36 chamber of Shaolin inspired so many people, including, um, lots of musicians, uh, Wu Tang clan, lots of people. Uh, and it is the first time I've ever seen it. And it is just as good as everyone says it is. It's, it's, it depends on how you feel about the training film, because that's all this is. Yeah. It's just, it's entirely a, the training film. I think I saw this with Riza in attendance. Really? And I think I had to write about it if, but I can't remember. You ever, you have those moments where it's like, you've done so much that you're like, I know that Riza was there. I know we watched a Shaw brothers movie and I know I had to literally write for an outlet. Vi- right. Vice actually. Um, and wow. I, I don't remember, I cannot remember if this was the movie we watched. Um, it's, it's so iconic. Uh, it, there's just scene after scene. I'm like, oh, I've heard the musical cues from this and other things, even oh, yeah. songs by people. I've seen images of this and other things. I've seen references to this. It's wildly iconic. And certainly you've seen like the, the very aspect of, how it works. I mean, the idea of this guy's like, there's evil people come to his town, kill a bunch of people. He goes like, the only escape is to go to the local Shaolin temple, which once you're there, you're supposed to just stay there. You're not supposed to interact with anyone else or ever teach martial arts to the outside world. But he goes there with the intention of like, I'm going to do anything I can to learn everything I can here and then convince them that they need to change their policy of not being involved anymore in the outside world because evil forces are moving forward. Right. And that's obviously motivational, <laughs> no matter when you watch it. Yeah. Uh, and 
But 90% of it is him just going through every chamber, which is just a training thing. We train your arms, we train your legs, we train your head, we train you with swords, we train you with this. But it's not boring. It's exciting. It's really fun and well-directed and fun. Like, and it plays out at the end. There's a very satisfying, like, yes, here's me using everything I learned. (laughs) You know, really, really good. And this gets its own whole disc here. Really cool. There's a bonus feature here with, uh, about the history of the music that was inspired by this film. And it goes into the Wu Tang clan and how old dirty bastard and, and them were like, this meant something to us because it changed our lives from being like having criminal pasts to going better yourself as a person. And this was their definition of like talking about how they move for like, Every chamber was for them a new accomplishment. Here's, I'm going to learn something new and master it. And this for them became this. That's why it became so important to them because it really made them feel like they were better people, got them out of their bad pasts. Really interesting stuff here. Um, I did not watch everything in this set. How dare you? Uh, I know there's the two sequels to, uh, 36 chamber of Shaolin, which like I said, was a massive hit. None of the, neither one of the sequels were, they're not particularly good to be honest. I've seen them before. They're not very good. Um, other than the ones we've already talked about, there's invincible Shaolin, the kid with the golden arm. That was my cousin's favorite when we were kids. Really? Yeah. Kid with the golden arm. He would talk about incessantly 39 gold out of Houston, Texas UHF station used to show on Sundays, either horror or Kung Fu. And it would alternate pretty much. And uh, I was never into the Kung Fu stuff as much as him, but my cousin, that was the one I remember him. He loved that one. And when it would come on, he, I guarantee he would tell me all about it. There's also Magnificent Ruffians, which I've heard is good. I need to watch that one. Uh, Ten Tigers, Quang Tung, Mercenaries from Hong Kong, Martial Arts of Shaolin, The Barefooted Kid, and the one I'm actually definitely going to watch on here, uh, The Boxer's Omen, which is apparently one of the, it's the only horror entry on here. Um, the last one you would argue would have that one, uh, uh what's the, 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 the kaiju? There's like a King Wait, Kong thing on the last one. Did you and I watch Boxer's Omen? I don't think so. What's the plot of Boxer's Omen? Well, let's take a look. <clears throat> I'm like, I'm not like, having seen it. I feel like you and I watched Boxer's Omen. No, we didn't watch this. I'm certain we didn't. Certainish. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Well, are you going to be like that? Okay. Um, this is, I don't think it's gotten a re-release recently. Uh, uh, I, I'm sorry. Like, uh, uh, Hey guys, wait while I look shit up. You, you love that. <laughs> I don't know. It feels- but it's like a folk horror type film, like possession type movie. Huh. Okay. Um, it's it, like in the insert booklet, it says it's evil dead Two to bewitched the evil dead 4k. Whatever that means. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. I've not seen it yet, but I'm kind of mm. like, okay, well, I have to watch it. Mm. I just hadn't, didn't find the time to watch it before this. Okay. Yeah, I'll get to it. Anyway, our last film is a movie that a lot of people were yelling at me, aren't you all going to review this? And I'm like, sorry, I just, there's problems with screenings and I didn't get around to seeing Don't Worry Darling, which I know was a huge release that the world decided was terrible. And you know what? It got a lot of bad press related to other stuff that had nothing to do with whether the movie was any good or not. Yeah. It's just, it's fine. It's fine. It's one of those movies you go, 
Yeah, it's just, it's worse quality is it's forgettable because its elements have all been done before. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's really well acted by Florence Pugh, who's an amazing young actress, and she gives it her all. And it's worth watching for her. It really is. It's not a terrible movie. People are like, it's shit. Really? It's fine. It's just too reminiscent of other things. Yeah. It's not as original as it sells itself as. No, it's, it's, um, it acts like it has a twist or a big reveal. I think most of it's built around a mystery. Um, I think that the mystery stuff is, uh, telegraphed is like the wrong word. I think if you're familiar with like games like Fallout 3 or Bioshock, that you're probably able to guess the you you will feel confident in knowing what's going on and you will be proven correct. Yeah. Um when you compare it though to something like I think the the problem with the movie when we get into a discussion of stakes people talk about stakes and how uh you know I you Superman sucks because he can never die so what are the stakes? And it's like there's a lot of people talk about stakes a lot, but I think really stakes are just a matter sometimes of what happens to this character if they don't accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. And in a movie that's similar, like Stepford Wives, you take the Catherine Ross character and the women in Stepford Wives are obviously being replaced by some kind of brainless automatons. Then the stakes become if she doesn't find out what's going on and escape this, she'll become, she's going to become a brainless automaton. The stakes in this are weird because it's just if you investigate that you find things odd, then you might end up in trouble with your husband. Those are weird stakes. Yeah. Because there is no pressing for Florence Pugh to then decide, I'm going to investigate this. The stakes are really weak because if she doesn't, what happens to her? She gets to live in utopia. Those, those are terrible stakes. Like, the stakes of, oh, you could live a great, if, if you, if you don't uncover the secret, you're going to have a really great life. And that's like, <laughs> that's, that's, the stakes are all screwy. That's, I mean, I get the whole, like, the part of that, like, oh, you'll live a great life, but don't ask too many questions yeah. about, like, anything at all. Live a boring but great life. I get that, but it's not well explored on that level. Or just simply, Anybody who questions anything just straight up disappears. Yeah. That's, that stakes because then it's like, yeah. dang, because then if she asks questions, there's tension because it's like, will I disappear? Yeah. And instead, it's so namby pamby about what its stakes are. It's, its biggest problem is the script. Yeah. Let's be honest. And like, I, people have been giving Olivia wild shit and I think it's actually a competently directed yeah, film. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, she doesn't deserve director's jail for it. No, no. I mean, like book smart was clearly the better of the two films, yeah. which was a really genuinely charming and funny little, uh, high school comedy. And I think but, this is also trying to be a little post Jordan Peele as well. I think yeah. the studio is hoping for something that's like, can we make something a feminist that Jordan says Peele. something that's also creepy? Uh, it feels very, it feels like a movie that wouldn't exist had Jordan Peele uh, not broken. People wide. keep comparing and you included to uh, the Stepford wives. And that's the thing is you just can't miss it. It's not identical to it, but it's close enough. And yeah. that has been redone. So yeah. many, the Simpsons has done it. Yeah. You're like, okay, you're, you're, you're making a film. That's all about like, Keep you guessing. You're not going to be guessing. You know exactly what's going on early on. And in fact, I was shocked by some of the more banal people I've met in my life going, 
Oh, yeah, you're wondering the whole time what's happening. When they finally reveal the twist at the end, you're like, that's stupid. I'm like, what movie did you... Are you sure you watched Don't Worry, Darling? Because, like, first off, how did you not know 20 minutes into the film what the twist was? And second, what was so stupid about the ending? Like, I feel like maybe you're just not supposed to be watching these type of films. (laughs) I'm confused about all the reasons that people didn't like this film to the amount of venom they had directed at it. Yeah. Um, I don't get it. It's fine. It, it, you should watch it. It's well shot. It's well acted largely. Um, it's just don't expect for a next, you know, the next big thing. Yeah. You know, it was fine. It's, it's, per- it's okay. It's perfectly acceptable. <laughs> it's perfectly okay. It's, it's actually, it's a, it's a, it's a hair above okay simply because it is a little bit uh artistic like it's a ni- it is a nice yeah. looking movie and it is like slick and yeah and well you know, acted um, and well okay. acted but it's but it, yeah it's it it's it passes an afternoon just fine yes uh there's a 18 minute making of uh and a very short deleted scene that won't add much to what you've seen already here yeah i think one of the most the biggest problems i had here with the direction was that when olivia wilde chooses to do stuff that's a little more hallucinogenic and nightmarish it's not that interesting yeah she's much more interesting when she's shooting the stu- just the sort of like idyllic 50s world there is like wow this actually you shoot this really really well when she chooses to go to nightmare stuff i'm like this is dull and i've seen this done much better yeah um yeah not so good, but what are we going to do for our second half digital noise here together of what the best movie uh, set is? Because I'm going Shawscope Volume 2, but you only saw one film in it. I saw two. Huh? You I saw watched, two films two. in it. You saw yeah. two films one in it. One disc. I mean, to me, that's unquestionably the best of the set. It's just... uh Yeah, but does it come with a prayer cloth? I am not going to put Heartland of Darkness Does as the pick of the week. I'm call? just not going to. There I'm needs sorry. to be an honorable mention for the sheer amount of tchotchkes crammed <laughs> into... Uh, There's a lot of tchotchkes in, in Into... I can't even remember the name of the freaking movie. Uh, uh, Heartland of Darkness. Uh, Heartland of Darkness. No, I'm not doing it. I'm uh, not giving that pick of the week. Stickers. I'm just not. Booklets, reversible right. cover. I'm just doing Shawscope Volume I en- 2. I, I encourage them giving people reasons to keep buying uh, physical media. I like the... Yeah. You remember back in the day, there was pa- there's pause Easter eggs. Like, did you do pause Easter eggs growing up? Like, pause, like the company you die Easter eggs? Okay. Like, did you do that when you were a kid, dye Easter eggs? I mean, yeah, we just okay. did it manually. We right. Just, there, was, the, there was a company called Pause that made, like, yeah. dyes for I know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, And there was another company that was Pause's competitor who was much harder to find their stuff, and they were <laughs> called Dudley. It was like Dudley's eggs. And the Dudley's packs were the ones as a kid that I preferred because they always had a whole bunch of stickers and finger puppets and activities and all kinds of crap packed into it. And to me, that company is like the Dudleys of home video right now <laughs> in that there are people, they're not the big dog. Pause is the big dog. Pause is the studios, right? Yeah. But these Dudley guys, they're making sure that if you buy their stuff, they're not just going to give you the, the Easter egg die. You're going to get they're all give you the a, crap. A, a little they paid pennies on the dollar. Can, out of cardboard that you can assemble and stickers and all kinds of stuff to go along with your eggs. <laughs> 
Um, so honorable mention to them. I appreciate the effort. I think, uh, I, I, I like that they're, they're keeping the, the, uh, they're keeping the dream of the Fargo wood chipper snow globe alive <laughs> in our world today. You remember that? Yeah. Um, so you're going to, you have to let me have the Shawscope volume two. On this uh, Shawscope volume two. You have to let me have Here's it. It's such an amazing set. You uh, you give me these kung fu movies, and I got to be completely honest. Most of the time, they don't move the needle with me in any way whatsoever. Yeah, a lot of times they feel like homework. Um, I'm not. It's not a genre I'm necessarily. I'm like, sorry. It's one of mine. That it's not me. a genre uh, I'm super into. That said, I liked both of these movies. Yeah. Neither one of these movies felt like homework. They both were fun to watch. Yeah. I enjoyed both well, of them. Well, that's why I was like, made a point of like, so. I was like, I'm going to rewatch this to make sure I feel strongly about it as I did when I watched yeah. it last. Cause I feel like if I'm going to give John one representative film from the set, it's going to be this one. Cause it's just delightful. And it is really just mm-hmm. delightful. Yep. But, uh, you know, I mean, not having watched the whole set myself, but what I have watched, Termit, it's pretty goddamn good. Yeah. And it's packed with bonus features. So that's why my pick of the week is smile. <sighs> <laughs> I will not murder you, but I'll write a film. About You'll it. jump scare me <laughs> over and over and over and over. 